Good morning. Good morning. You all don't know me, and I don't know many of you. Um, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, my wife and I have been traveling this weekend and uh, down into central Florida, and we uh, I've been looking for an opportunity to be in the area at some point, some time, uh, that I could drop by and visit. I don't know if he'll claim it or not, but your pastor and I are, are kin, and uh, we're kin folks, and so I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity to, opportunity to stop by, and I don't intend to take up too much time, but just share a thought or two with you from the, um, I think from the third chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, I appreciate the uh, one expression that the, brother, that the brother just prayed, what a wonderful job God has done taking care of us, right? Amen. And I agree with that, what a wonderful job. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. He's, he's a perfect God. He, he's going to take care of us, but it's good to acknowledge. And it's good to acknowledge in public mm-hmm. what a wonderful job God has done in taking care of us. In Ephesians chapter 3, uh, back home church that I serve, Rocky Mount Church uh, near Arab, Alabama, uh, we've, we've been looking here lately in the in the book of Ephesians and we've spent some time looking at the prayers of the Apostle Paul and um, you can do that from a number of places from a number of the letters that Paul uh, had, uh, wrote and um, his prayers are, are so rich they're, they're just full of, uh, of of praises unto the Lord they're, some of them are even full of well, I guess what we might refer to as doctrinal things but um, and it's it's that way also with just his introductory remarks mm-hmm. when Paul those first few verses you know the, those first few lines those first few sentences that he wrote in his letters they're they're just so rich and so um, so we, we've been looking at this a little bit lately and um, so I'll, I'll just share a thought or two with you and, and and then get out of your way because I came to worship my wife and I came to worship with you and. I, Quite frankly, I came to hear your pastor preach. Um, The apostle writes in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, just that phrase alone, we ought to spend a good little time on it, right? The riches of his glory. If we could just think about and just just begin to even begin to wrap our minds and our hearts around what that expression means the riches of his glory the apostle Paul is praying on behalf of and praying for he's expressing what he has been praying for on behalf of this church at Ephesus and he is praying that the Lord would answer those prayers according to the riches of his glory and and that's kind of like you know uh no need in holding back. If you're going to pray that the Lord would answer your prayers, then then pray that He would do so according to the riches of His glory, not just a, a little bit, but the riches of His glory. Mm-hmm. That that His prayer, that your prayers would be answered to to the fullness, if 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 it be His will, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, the apostle is known for long sentences as well. <laughs> and I wanted to read the entire sentence, although it's like four or five verses. 
the apostle says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this cause. You might ask the question, for what cause? What does he mean? There's a purpose. There's a reason. It's for this cause. And he's been describing that in the, in the preceding verses. In fact, all the way back up to the beginning of this chapter, he uses that same expression, for this cause. And so if you back up to the beginning of this chapter, um, we find out a little bit more about what Paul has in mind. It's for this purpose, he's saying, that I pray what I'm praying, the, reason, the, the way I'm praying, the reason I'm, this is the reason that I'm praying. This is the reason, in fact, that I feel so, uh, so deeply about the Lord answering this prayer for you, church. It's for this cause. And without reading all of that, the apostle reminds them that he had been given a dispensation. A dispensation of the grace of God. That's pretty amazing. But it's not anything that every single one of us, as children of God, every single one of us have, have been given a dispensation. What does that word mean? It, it's, it's to manage, it can mean to manage a household mm-hmm. or the affairs of someone else's household and it indicates stewardship. Mm-hmm. The grace of God been bestowed upon you? Amen, right? Has it? That's a question. You can answer. Amen. He, it has. The grace of God has been bestowed upon you. And you're, you're to be a steward. I'm to be a steward of whatever God has given me. I'm to be a good steward. It indicates stewardship. So Paul says to the church, I've been given a dispensation of the grace of God. Now on another occasion, he's going to say a dispensation of the gospel. And in particular for the Apostle Paul, it was a dispensation of the gospel. So he'd been given this gift and this calling, and with that gift and calling, as it is with every single one of us, there is stewardship. There's an accountability. Mm-hmm. What are we doing with what God has given us? And that, when I think about it, I'm convicted. I'm convicted, and, and now I think, <laughs> I think the Apostle Paul says down there that he, he bows his knees and, and there's maybe a number of reasons that we might bow our knees. And, and we don't necessarily have to bow our knees when we go to the Lord in prayer, right? We don't have to. But it's not a bad thing either. It's not a bad practice. And in fact, um, I, we've been looking at a, a couple of places in the Old Testament where some, some men of old, as they prayed to the Lord, they not only bowed their knees. It, lo- it sounds as though they were flat out on the, uh, on the ground with their faces in the ground. Ezra was one of them. He was a good example that when when the children of Israel were brought back out of or were being brought back out of captivity, and the the house of God, the temple, was being rebuilt, Ezra finds out that the children that had escaped, the Bible says, escaped the captivity, had come back from captivity and come back into the promised land. They 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 went right back to their old ways. They they went right back to mingling and taking taking daughters for their sons, daughters of the inhabitants of the land. They, 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 they went back to their old ways. They did not separate themselves from the culture of the people in that land. And Ezra hears about this after they've been blessed to return from captivity. That's why they were in captivity to begin with, right? That was one of the reasons that they were led into captivity because of their rebellion and disobedience. And when Ezra finds out that 
They went right back to their old ways when they're back in their homeland, rebuilding the temple. He is so burdened with, with such deep sorrow and, and, and conviction, and he finds out, in fact, one reason I think that he's so so distraught about that situation it was because it was the leaders that were leading them back into their old ways. And the Bible tells us that Ezra, it sounds like he, he, he says, I can't even lift up my eyes. He bows down. He not only bows down, he lays flat on the ground with his hands outstretched and can't even look up to the Lord because he is so distraught and so convicted. So the posture is not so important though, but it doesn't, it's okay that whatever we are feeling inside affects our posture, right? It should affect us externally. Now, some of us are pretty good about hiding our emotions and feelings, and you know, and you and, and, and you always look the same, and always have kind of the same countenance, and that's okay too. That's not a bad thing either. But now and then, it, what I ought to be able to see, your pastor ought to be able to see what you're going through, what you've been through this week. By the countenance on your face. And I'm sure that he does. Sometimes it, it, what is going on in the inside ought to be manifest on the outside because eventually I need to know, he needs to know, we all need to know one another well enough that we know what to pray for. Because when Paul expresses his prayers for, for, the, for the church and for the saints, he expresses it in detail. Mm-hmm. It's not just a general prayer. Now, it is a general prayer in the sense that it applies to all of us still today. But he prays in specifics. And so it's a good thing to, to be able to convey in some way, to communicate in some way, what we stand in need of regarding prayer. Yeah, we can say, brother, pray for me. Sister, I'm praying for you. But if that's as far as it goes, I don't know how effective my prayer might be. Now God knows, and he, don't have, he doesn't have to have me to express in detail what your needs are. He knows your needs. But there's something about being able to know that ourselves that um, I just feel like it's the way that the Spirit moves. And, and, and it it's, it's certainly uh, has an effect on us and in, in our prayer lives and in your relationships with, with one another. It's this dispensation of the grace of God that Paul has been given specifically to pray or to preach the gospel and specifically for the Apostle Paul, as he tells us here, that he had been given a revelation, a particular knowledge that others had not been given. He's not boasting in that. It's just a fact. That's what his calling was. And it was given to him to reveal that mystery that had been hidden from ages past to the the saints, to the church. And he was to be a good steward of that grace, of that gospel, that dispensation that he had been given. In fact, he confesses that he was the least of all saints. Uh, he persecuted. He would confess that earlier in the, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul would confess that he was the least of the apostles. He would also confess that he labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me, he was the least of the apostles, he confessed. Here he confesses he's the least of all saints. A little bit later, shortly before he leaves this world, he's going to confess that he was the chief of all sinners. <laughs> and that, that's kind of how when we get a little older and a little older, we, we begin to realize more and more just what we are and, and, and what we're not and what we might have thought we were. And we, but we come to that time. But he says, for this cause I bow my knees. So 
good stewardship. God has blessed you with His grace. And He's blessed each one of you with a particular calling. He has. He has called you not just, not just in general. Every single one of us. He's called us and we're to walk in that vocation wherewith we have been called and to be good stewards of that grace that He has bestowed upon us. Brother Jonathan, may the Lord bless you. Uh, thank you for allowing me a minute or two. hope I didn't distract from uh, whatever the Lord is. Lord teed it up. <laughs> I go to Colossians. I want to start this service by praying for Fairhaven. One of the prayers of Paul is in Colossians chapter 1. We read verses 9 through 14. The sentence does go on, but for the sake of time, we're going to cut off at a reasonable point. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to try and pray it, and we'll go forward from there. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire, again, listen to the specificity, to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of His will, God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even in the forgiveness of sins. And for the sake of this morning, we'll just pause right there. That's, that's a lot going on there in that prayer. A lot of good things. A lot of doctrine, a lot of instruction. So I'm going to read it, just try to break it down just a little bit. Not a whole lot. This isn't my message, but I wanted to start with this. And then I want to try and pray it for, for you and for this church and, and for me. For this cause... We also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you be filled. Be filled! Not just a smidge, not just a few drops, but be filled with the knowledge of His will. There's a lot of knowledge in this world we heard about this weekend, about all the different information that you've got readily available at your fingertips. But is that the best thing? Is that what you need to be focusing on? I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, of your Lord's will, and that in that you will have wisdom, discernment, and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Right? To grow. This is growing in grace, right? We need to grow. Grow in what we know. Grow about our, what we know in the Lord, what He desires, so that we can, like we talked about last week, approve the things that are excellent. There's bad, there's good, and then there's, there's the excellent things. That's how we choose what is the more needful thing to spend our time on. Redeeming our time for the days are evil. You've only got so many days that the Lord's going to allow you to be here. Right? And guess what? Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Right? Sister Debbie, when she got very sick, did she change how she was living her life? By and large, no. She kept serving the Lord, but there was a greater urgency in it. 
I mean, she had a she had a death sentence. Guess what, guys? Y'all have a death sentence too. Okay, all sinners, all gonna die. We don't know when, but there was an urgency in what she did, and she served the Lord. You can see that in each day that each day counted. Right, that counts for us too. Tomorrow is not guaranteed at all, so we need to be growing so that we can make the best use of that time. Right, be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why that? that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing, again, in the knowledge of God. Right? We want to be profitable servants to the Lord. He bought and paid for us. We're His. We're in His service. We want to be profitable, to serve Him with rigor. Right? Not to be that slothful servant, the one who shirks His Responsibility and doesn't use those gifts that he was given him, not to use it in the Lord's service. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Y'all, sometimes we ask, Lord, give me strength. And sometimes we're thinking, Lord, give me physical strength. Give my body strength. Our bodies have real limitations, right? You can be the strongest dude in the world and you can only lift so much weight. But the strength is that give me all strength according to his glorious power. He doesn't have a limit on his power. That's talking about the magnitude of what you're asking for. That's whoo. But what am I using it for? I'm using it in His service. According to His glorious powers, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Patience, long-sufferingness, long-suffering with joyfulness. That's our attitude. That's how we're going through this world. Everything that we're going through, that we have ways that we can respond to it. We can respond like the world, and that's the the complaining, the grubbing, the, ah, why won't things get better? Or, Lord, I'm going to serve you right here in this moment. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of the storm that's around, Lord, you can give me patience. You can grow me and show me how to serve you here. Give me patience, long-suffering. Now go read that chapter again we talked last week about love. There's a lot of descriptions in the real definition of love, not the world's definition. It's a sorry version of love. It's very uh, fickle. It's very temporary. It really depends on how you serve me. Then I'll kind of, you know, maybe reciprocate. That's not... That's not God's definition of love. Love is full of being long-suffering and patient. Not vaunting yourself up, not boasting in yourself, but giving under self-sacrifice. That's, that's the pattern of love that Jesus gave. Right, boys? Still with me? All right. Long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father. Rejoicing, like Brother, Brother Don prayed this morning, to give thanks, coming to Him and give thanks because He's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints of light. That's a mouthful, Brother Paul. What do you mean? He's made you fit to be in heaven. He's given you an inheritance. You didn't work for it. It was given to you freely and you are now fit to receive it and to be with Him along with every other saint of light. You're not any better than they are. You're not even worse. You've all been paid for with the same price. Okay? He's made you fit. You've got something to rejoice in. You're awake this morning? That's good. Sun came up? That's good too. He's made you fit to be with Him in glory. You've got something to rejoice in. Give thanks. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's where you were when you're dead in trespasses and sin. You were under the power of darkness. Right? You were walking just like everybody else in the world. Right? It, we were vile. We are gross. Now by nature, we still have that within us. And we have to fight it daily. But before, before you were born again, that's all you were. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were under the power of darkness. When He gives you that new life by His Holy Spirit, you're released from that. You're not under the bondage of sin anymore. 
Every sin that comes into your life, your life, you are not under it. It's not your master. Jesus is your master, and He gives you a way to escape from it. Now, I'm starting to preach, and I need to be praying, so we're going to finish this up, and we're going to go to our text. All right, from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his new son. He has put us in the kingdom of his son. That's where we are. We're serving him in his kingdom here, and we're going to see it in the visible kingdom later. And oh, it's going to be wonderful. That's what we're looking forward to. In whom we have redemption through his blood. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. You've got something to rejoice in, and you have received the forgiveness of sin. Let's try to pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house. Lord, thank you for buying us. Thank you for buying us with the blood of your only begotten Son. Lord, Father, what a price that you paid for us. Father, thank you for making us, each of us here, each of your saints, Lord, that we are made fit to be with you in glory and that you've given us an inheritance that can't be taken away. Father, We rejoice in that. Lord, help us to rejoice in that reality and not lose sight of it. And Lord, help us to grow. Help us to grow in knowledge. Lord, help us to grow in grace. Lord, help us that we would be filled, filled with your goodness and righteousness. And Lord, that in all the trials that we go through, Lord, that you would teach us to be patient, teach us to be long-suffering, and that we would be able to endure them with joyfulness. Lord, that we would be able to reflect your light and your glory in all that we go through. Lord, we know that everything here is going to be so small in compared to that wonderful Wonderful glory of being with you. Father, help us to latch on to that, Lord. Help us to grow in the knowledge of you, of your will. Let us see and approve those things that are more excellent in our lives, that we would be profitable servants. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you better go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. So get us back into where we were. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's implied in there. He's a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So he is writing to those who are natural Jews. But these are also believers. These are Christians. These are those who are following Christ. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And again, we've talked about that a few weeks ago. About Our carnal mind says, No, I don't count it joy when I fall into trials and temptations. But here, part of that growing in the Lord's will is that, yes, I can put that like an accountant. I can put this, this is in the bucket. Going through them, it's not fun. It's not saying that. You know, particularly when we're chasing to the Lord, that's not fun. That's grievous, but we know that that produces good things within us, produces the fruit of righteousness. Here it's saying, when you're going through diverse diverse trials and temptations, you can count it joy. Why? Because you know, you've been taught, the Word reveals that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's part of us growing up in spiritual maturity is that we are growing and we are able to cheerfully endure whatever's going on. That is a fruit of the Spirit. That's something that you get to grow into, and the way you grow in that is by going through those trials. If you could avoid them all and just have the bed of roses, you wouldn't grow very much. And when you don't grow very much, you're not as profitable of a servant to it. Okay? Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, her complete work, that ye may be perfect. And that does not mean sinless, that means mature, it means complete, it means full grown. That ye may be perfect and entire, sound in body, wanting nothing. That you would not be lacking these areas in which we need to grow. If any of you lack wisdom, and so particularly this context, think about in trials. If you're lacking wisdom in the trials, if, and again we talked a whole lot about that if, we lack wisdom. It's kind of a given, right? We need the wisdom of God. We don't have all the answers. We need it. But 
When you recognize that you lack wisdom, ask of God. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But, all right, here's the caution, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Remember, we talked last week about asking in faith, believing, one, that God has wisdom. You better believe that if you're going to ask for him. Believing that he'll give it to you. He giveth up you know, liberally. And upbraideth not. You know, some, unlike sometimes we as parents, when we're asked of our children to repeat that same thing we've said four or five times, we, we upbraid. What do you mean you didn't get it the first time? And we're not perfect parents. But we have a Heavenly Father that when you go to it, even if you've already asked for the same information three or four times, He gives it to you. He gives it to you liberally and without upbraiding. So He has it, He gives it, and that you want it. That you actually want the wisdom of God. That's something that you need as you're asking the faith. Lord... Show me your will, because I want to do your will, as opposed to, Lord, show me the answer so I can do what I want to do anyway. Whether it's your will or not, I really don't care, right? Sometimes we get in trouble with that, and that's when we're the double-minded man. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave on the sea, driven the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. All right, we've recapped two or three sermons. I'll try to slow down. I know, I get excited. Let's start in verse 9. Again, thinking about this context of we're starting with trials and tribulations. We need wisdom during them. Verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Sentence doesn't stop. But the rich in that he is made low. We'll pause there. All right. Trials and temptations. Adversity. So context. It says, brother who is low degree, that could be depressed, that could be wealth of this world, one who, is, who has been low, you get to rejoice when the Lord raises you up. He's exalted. He's made higher. It says, but the rich, and there's kind of a, an implied there, you have to rejoice too. But the rich rejoice in that he is made low. We can get on board naturally with the first one, right? Okay, that sounds good. You know, rags to riches. But it's also saying, riches to rags, you get to rejoice there. Okay? That may be a little harder for us to wrap our natural heads around, but we're going to try and spend a little time on that. So how does, how does James explain, and the Lord through James explain? But the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof faileth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in all his ways. Okay, so we get an illustration. The illustration is we look out at creation. You've got a flower of the field. It looks great. It looks pretty. It's beautiful. And then that sun and just scorch it, and it's gone. Right? It doesn't you know, just come back up. It's, it's withered away to nothing. And that's the, the illustration that uses to teach that the rich man is going to fade in all his ways. Now, you'll see later in James chapter 5, there's going to be some, uh, some language directed towards the rich. James chapter 5 and 1 says, Go to now, ye rich man, weep and howl, for your misery shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. 
Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And then it continues on to describe this unrighteous behavior that this wicked man is engaged in, about keeping back the hire from someone who's worked for them, um, who also has uh, lived with just pleasure um, days on end. It's like every day for you is like that day of slaughter. The day of slaughter back then, that was when you, you, you killed the animal. You didn't do that every day, right? But when you did, it was it was a party, right? So, but no, you've lived like that every day, right? And so say all that of the riches are fleeting, right? They're going to get moth-eaten. They're going to get rusted. They're going to get cankered. Ultimately, they're going to go away. You'll, we'll have to flip there, but Matthew 6, 19 and 20 is talking about putting up treasures in heaven. And that admonition is, don't put your treasures here where thieves can break forth and steal, where moth and rust will corrupt. They're fleeting. They're just temporary. And in fact, it's a good reminder about our life itself. Like we just mentioned, our life itself is fleeting. James 4 and 14. You know, the the admonition here, like Brother David mentioned, about going to and buying and selling and having just all these plans of what we're going to do. He says, well, you don't know about tomorrow. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? What is your whole life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a time and then vanisheth away. Right? Kids, you know what a vapor is? Imagine just one little bubble from a boiling pot. It has that little bit of steam come up, and then that steam is gone. If you want to see any more steam, you've got to bubble some more. Right? But that one little bit of steam, right? that's the description for how short and how fleeting our life is. And so the, the admonition for Brother David is that, yes, it's okay to make plans, but we need to caveat that with, if the Lord's will, that we'll live then we'll do this, this or that. And it's a good reminder to us that we are subject to Him in all that we do and that tomorrow is not promised. And so we need to redeem the time and live today to serve the Lord today. Don't put it off for tomorrow or, or when you know we get the kids out of the house or when we retire or all those things and I'll serve the Lord when... Whoop! Guess what? When you get there, you're going to have different challenges. You are! We live in a sin-cursed world. It's never going to get to that perfect spot where, okay, now I can serve God. You've got to serve Him now. Right? Take advantage now. All right? I want to uh, look briefly. I believe it's Psalm 90. I wrote Psalm 9, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. So I want to look at Psalm 90. And just look at the, the brevity of life expressed. I believe this is a psalm of Moses. Yeah, it's Psalm 90. Don't trust your notes. Psalm 90. I'm just going to read, we'll read verses 1 through 12. Prayer of Moses. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Right? God was before everything that we see. He always was. Right? He is our foundation. Thou turnest man to destruction and say, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are as but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Right? A thousand years with God can be just like yesterday when, it, when it's already gone by. Right? Or that watch in the night where you're standing guard and then it's, it's done. A whole thousand years with Him. 
Time's, time's different with God. Right? He's not bound by time. He existed before He created the instruments with which we measure time. Right? When He gave us the, the sun and the moon and stars um, to measure it, to see it passing. Thou carriest them away, carriest them away as with the flood. They are, they are as is asleep in the morning. That's yeah. Sleep ever go by fast for you? How about on a day when there's daylight savings time? Sleep go by fast? That's our life. And it's not when you're starting to sleep, it's sleep in the morning. When you got to get up now and you got to do stuff. That's how fast our little lives go by. Sleep as a sleep, um, like grass which groweth up. We get this illustration of grass again. In the morning it flourisheth. And you see that dew, you look out there, it's got a little fog and it's dew. It's just so pretty, right? Will's big old hayfield looks so gorgeous in the morning. It flourisheth, it groweth up. But in the evening, Will comes along with his tractor and he cuts it down. And within a couple days, does it look green and pretty anymore? No, hopefully it's dried out and had not been rained on. He can bail it up and sell it. But still, it looks very different. It's now withered. You tell that grass a couple days ago, you're about, no, no, I'm green. I'm looking good. And then you're dried out and you're getting eaten by horses, right? <laughs> Cut down and withered. For we are consumed by that anger, by that wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spent our years as a tale that is told. Wow. Your whole life, all your years could be reduced down to just a little tale. Right? A, little bit of a little bit of a story. The days of our years are three score and ten. That's seventy. And if by reason of strength they be four score, that's eighty. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's not just teach us to number our days so we can go skydiving and all those other things in the song of, my time's almost done, i got to serve myself real fast. Right? Forget about everybody else. I've got to serve me. No. No. Serve the Lord. Apply yourself unto wisdom. Learn what His will is. Get direction on that next step. You're not going to get the whole map. You're going to get the next step. This is how you serve me now. And then do it. Right? Like Abraham, when he was called out, he was told to go to a country. He didn't know where, but he obeyed. He didn't get the full plan. Right? And he didn't even get to see the full fruition of it. It was going to happen after he was dead. And his kids were dead and grandkids were dead. Right? But he obeyed with the instructions and the light that he was given. So to number our days and seek forth after wisdom. All right. Let's go back to James. But the rich, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof faileth, and the grass, grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So shall the rich man fade in all his ways. Okay. Have you ever thought... Remember, our context is trials, tribulations, and tests. Have you ever thought about the poor man being exalted, that he's about to go into a test? We tend to associate being you know, wealthy in this world as, hey, things are looking up. You may be about to be entering, and with good, luck, good likelihood, a period where you've got a lot of trials and tests and afflictions that come about 
because you now have access to get yourself into trouble. <laughs> Go look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, I want chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 3 to pick up our context. The context here is false teachers. There are going to be those who come and teach contrary doctrine, um, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness. These false teachers, 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 4 now, he is proud, these false teachers, knowing nothing, doting about questions, with strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising. If you've got someone who is demonstrating how smart they are and know everything, in particular if they're doing it in the context where they say they know about God, and the result of what they're doing is envy and strife and railings, evil surmisings, you got some danger signs there, folks. Perverse, disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, and here, supposing that gain is godliness. If I've got much funds, then I am godly. That's, that's, that's what, I mean, y'all go turn on the TV. You see the number where it says, make sure you donate here. And ask what kind of planes they own and fly on. That's what they're teaching. That's a false teaching. Avoid it. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. What is godliness? But godliness with contentment is great gain. It flips it on its head. When you are living a godly life and you are content wherever he puts you, that's really great gain. Okay? For we brought nothing into this world. I mean, it's just stating the obvious, but we need to be reminded of it. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we shall carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. What can we learn? We can learn contentment in whatever station of life we're at. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Verse 9, this is where I really want to get to. But they that will be rich, those that are pursuing, and that is their might. They're, they're, they're driven. They're driven to be, to be rich. We call it covetousness too, right? But I want to be successful. I want to be wealthy. I want to have the, the toys, right? They that will be rich, listen, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Does this sound like a pretty scene? I mean, it sounds like you've dug a pit and you're now jumping into the snare that you've dug. Right? And it's drowning men in all these trials and troubles because of this pursuit of riches. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That desire, that coveting after money. Right? Money is just a tool in and of itself. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just a tool. It's how you use it. But when you start desiring that tool above all else and you start using it to serve the lust of your flesh, that's a problem. Right? Itself isn't the problem, it's your love for it that's the problem. That's the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith. And listen, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There are trials and temptations and tests that come when you are given great wealth in this world. And so in your situation, uh, financially improves dramatically, yes, rejoice! But be on guard. Okay? Because what does it say for us? But thou, O man of God, one who's not erred from the faith, O man of God, flee these things. Flee that covetousness and follow what? Follow after righteousness. Don't follow after the pursuit of money. That's not the end. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. And that includes fighting yourself. Right? Sometimes we get up in arms, oh, we're going to defeat all the evil in this country. No, you're not. 
And in fact, you've got an adversary who's really close to home that you need to be focusing on. Right? And he'll do more damage in your life than any political leader. Right? Any time of day. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Ooh, Lay hold on eternal life. To seize. Now this is not saying that by your action you gain eternal life. Y'all know I'm not teaching that. But you need to live your life in that reality of this is real. This is what I've been given by my Lord and Savior. I've been bought and paid for. I want to live with that being real. Just like it's tangible in my hands that I have eternal life. And so all the wealth of this world, man, that's, that's peanuts. As opposed to what I've already got. What I've already been given. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So, we can learn contentment whether we're being exalted or whether we're being made low. That's what Paul would say, right, over in Philippians. Pretty sure he's under house arrest at this point. Um, and he's got to pay for his own house. But he's saying, uh, and he, it's a thank you letter. Thank you all for sending funds to help support me. I appreciate that. But I rejoice greatly. This is 410. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished again. They've sent funds. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked an opportunity. You didn't have a way to, to care. Now you've demonstrated it. Not that I speak in respect of want. Not because I was lacking. For I have learned. It's not just I am. Growth, right? I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Content. Interesting little word study on content. It's a compound word. First one means self. Okay, that makes sense. Second one, root word means to, to ward off. The idea of raising a barrier for it to be enough. Well, Will's not there. Zach, got your farm you got to figure out where to put the fence, right? Well, logically, you put it on the property line because that's as much as you got right now. But what if you really want to buy that property next door, maybe in a year, maybe in two years, maybe in six months? Do you go ahead and build that fence there? Or do you wait? I don't know. But what if you want the property beyond that? Do you build it there? Or maybe at the... Or, where's enough, right? You're remodeling your house. Where does that wall need to go? Should it be here? I mean, how much room is enough, Right? But if you learn to be content, you've raised up that barrier and say, I'm content with what I've been given. I don't need that next thing. The Lord gives it to me, fine. Because he's learned. I know both how to be abased, to push down, to be depressed, to be made low. And I know how to abound, to have more than you need. I've learned. I know. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full. I've been taught how to be full of things and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Your service to God and your ability to faithfully serve Him is not contingent upon the world's goods that you have or the circumstances or the trials in your life or the lack thereof. We can be faithful in all times. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. This is not so you can be the best basketball player or all those movies where they take this verse. It's that I can learn to be content and know that He is going to get me through. He's going to give me that daily bread. He's going to give me my raiment. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. I've already got eternal life that I can lay hold on that. He's got it. He's going to get me through. Okay? Learning contentment. Figuring out, setting that fence or that barrier and being content. Alright? Alright. 
I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We started there with kind of some of the, the negatives about being rich. Right? And the context, remember, it was those that would be rich, those that are desiring it, those that are coveting it. It's not inherently wrong for the Lord to bless you. That's okay. I mean, Abraham and Jacob, and I, they had a world of a lot of stuff. Right? So much so that folks that they were staying with wound up kicking them out and saying, you're, you're, you're too great for us, you just need to go on somewhere else. Right? So having the stuff in the world, it's not inherently bad. It's what's going on in us and how we're using it. We're the stewards. It's His. Ultimately, your name may be on the checking account, but above that, you know, it should say, in care of, for the service of, God the Father who created everything who gave everything to you. Amen. I'm co-signing on His behalf. Okay? So listen at the end of Timothy, because he's given all those warnings. Verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Charge them that are rich in this world. So this is the ones that have the goods. They're not pursuing it, that covetous heart, but they have it. They that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. It's easy to get proud and lifted up when you have more toys. Don't do that. You're no, there's nothing that you have that you're not given, so what are you rejoicing in? Don't be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Why? Because they're fleeting. Yeah. Like the grass, cut down, they're going to be gone. He can take it away. Whether he's made you high and the low man, when you've been made high, you can be made low again. Rejoice in both. Don't trust in them. Say, now I'm comfortable. I've got, I've got the 4K where I'm on it. i got the house paid off. Now I can be, right? That's kind of like the rich man who's got his barns. He built the bigger ones. And now I can be content. Eat, drink, and take my merry because I've got many goods. Now full. The Lord may require your soul tonight, right? You don't know. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust what? In the living God who giveth us richly in all things to enjoy. Now listen, that they do good. This is very practical. He's saying, you've got funds, you've been given these things from the Lord, from the Lord. use it. Use it for a second. That they do good, not just be good. I'm sitting at home, sitting on my cash, and I'm being good. No, do good! <laughs> that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Communicate, that's the same term back from Philippians of you know, preacher language for you, you came and supported me, right? You're looking for opportunities to use the Lord's good in the Lord's service, right? This is the admonition. They that do good, they that be rich in, in, in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And what are you doing? You're laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. What? That they may lay hold on eternal life. When you're using the Lord's goods for His service, it's reminding you, these are just temporary. It's reminding you that they're His. And I've got something way better. I don't need to hold on and hoard this like this is the best thing ever. All right, I'm going to use a silly illustration. Y'all seen Little Orphan Annie, right? Little Annie. All right, I want you to imagine her. Red hair. Woo! Got an attitude. Okay? Imagine Annie gets a box of Cracker Jacks. Annie, who is an orphan, who has no worldly possessions, she's got a very unkind caretaker, right? She is very happy about these Cracker Jacks, right? What's going to eventually happen to those Cracker Jacks? Either they're all going to go away, or they're going to be stolen, or they're going to go stale, right? Those Cracker Jacks are eventually going to go away. Now, she could be very, very upset those Cracker Jacks are gone. But how is her attitude after she's already found about Daddy Warbucks? You've been adopted. You haven't been brought home yet, but you've been adopted. Do those Cracker Jacks matter near as much? Do they matter at all? They're just Cracker Jacks, Right? 
all the wealth you have in all your life that you ever accumulate is just Cracker Jacks. You have been adopted by the perfect Heavenly Father who has given you an inheritance, not because you were worthy, but in spite of that. And He's going to bring you home one day and oh, what rejoicing there will be. We don't sing that song with enough. What rejoicing there will be. And we'll be able to sing it perfectly. And you won't be bound by the sin and the corruption and the vileness of this world anymore. There'll be no shame. What rejoicing. And yet for all the glory, because heaven's going to be great, you get to see your Savior. Go hug Him. For that first time, we, you know, the disciples, they were blessed. They got to see and handle that Word while He was here. You will too! Can you wrap hold of that? Can you lay hold of that today? Y'all, we got to quit worrying about the Cracker Jacks. How much time? Oh no, this Cracker Jack got lost! Okay. Low man, you've been, you've been raised higher. You've now got two boxes of Cracker Jacks. Okay. Rich man, you had two and now you're down to one or, or none. Okay. You have a Heavenly Father who has adopted you, brought you into His family, and He's going to bring you home. That's what it means to lay hold on eternal life. That's what it means to keep it in perspective. Not that somehow I'm gaining eternal life. No, He's already given it. And I'm just waiting to receive that good. Mm. Look at one other verse in James. We'll start from verse 9 again. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. Praise God. He's given you. Use it for His glory. Let the rich rejoice in that he is made low. Because he's reminded of how fleeting it is. How temporary it is. How all this is not really that much at all. Right? It's all going to pass away. Life and the wealth. He can rejoice in that. Verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptations. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. He that endureth temptation, for when he is tried. Y'all, we're going to be tried every moment we're still breathing. Our faith is going to be tried. We're going to be tested. I mean, that's what Peter would talk about. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Really, just want verse 7, but 7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found on the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm really going to go back and read 3 through 9 because you need, you need to have all of this. You don't jump into the sentence without the magnitude, the richness of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. A living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Incorruptible. The fleeting things of this world, they're all corruptible. But the inheritance you have is incorruptible. Undefiled. Everything you touch here and have here is corrupted. It's, it's, it's not pure. Sin's taint is all over it. There they won't be. Incorruptible. Undefiled. That fadeth not away. The exact opposite of all the Cracker Jacks here. 
right? Reserved in heaven for you, you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You're able to rejoice in that great truth. It's going to be revealed perfectly in its own time. You can rejoice now. Even now when you're going through the heaviness, because it, it is heavy. You have trials and temptations, and they hurt. Right? That's what Brother David was talking about. About You have a high priest who can feel them. Feel what you're going through. And intercede and advocate on your behalf. Right? You can greatly rejoice, though now for a season, this life, that's the season. <laughs> I don't know how long that season is. It's not just spring. It's the whole life. Now for a season you be in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, the testing, the putting to the proof of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though, uh, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. But man, what, it's, what a day is it going to be when you can't see Him? Having not seen yet, ye love, in whom, though now we see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. There's going to be trials. There's going to be trials of our faith. And it's a purifying effect. Right? It is for raising up that dross, those areas of our life that we don't want to deal with, right? Some of them are pet sins. We like them over in the closet there. We don't want to talk about it, but... We enjoy them. That's those are those are problematic. There's also the ones that we don't ever get to this closet, so we don't even know they're there because we don't look at it, right? Those are the secret sins. Not that we're keeping them secret. Those are the pets. No, the secret sins are the ones that you. Those are the blind spots that you don't even know, right? Those are the ones where we need to pray, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm thinking I've got it all figured out. I'm too far along. Show me where I'm falling, because obviously, if I'm starting to think that, pride's creeping in, right? If I'm thinking that I'm doing okay, ooh, beware. Because right? we're not. And we can't get there. Because we're, we're, we're corrupt. Right? That battle will be ongoing. Alright. When we started in Colossians, the prayer was that we would bear fruit. Right? And I won't, for the sake of time, go through the whole chapter in John 15 about Jesus being the vine and abiding in Him and will bear fruit. But I want you to think about this fruit just in this one verse, in verse 8. John 15 and 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified. How do I glorify God? Listen. That ye bear much fruit. I want to glorify God. I want to live in a life that bears much fruit. Much fruit. Not just a little bit. And I want you to think about that in terms uh, of the sower. Right? Think about this in terms of the sower. In Matthew 13, as Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower, listen to why some don't bear fruit. You know, the seed that goes in the stony, uh, stony place is verse 20. The same is he that heareth the word, and anon, or immediately with joy, receiveth it. Yet he himself hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. He lasts for a little bit. For when tribulation... Or persecution ariseth because of the word. So this is not just hard times in general, but this is now I'm trying to faithfully serve and things are going bad because of it. 
Right, that's the opposite of what the TV preachers say, right? You do this, life's going to get fuzzy, peachy fuzzy, right? No. <laughs> Tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, and by and by he's offended. What do you mean? There's a cost to this? No. About the next one. He that receiveth the word among thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Right? And the one who hears the word and has the good ground is he that heareth and understandeth and bringeth forth fruit. Those who are bringing forth fruit, they still have trials and tribulations. They're not exempt from it. They still have the cares of this world. They still have the deceitfulness of riches from their own heart trying to entice them. All those things they have to rebuff and put aside and lay down daily. It's a warning for us. If we want to bear fruit, we need to be on guard of those things. Be on guard about walking away when it gets hard. Why do you think Jesus gave the illustration about counting the cost? Because there's cost. To being a faithful follower of the Lord, the world is going to hate you. That's, that's a pretty good reassurance for you if you're on the right path. The world says, no, you can't do that. You're making me feel bad. I don't like that. You need to change, right? You need to be more inclusive. Y'all, this is an exclusive doctrine. Amen. There is one God. There is one way to heaven. There is one Jesus Christ. He is the one Lord. And there is no one else. And He does not share it is exclusive. There is one definition of holy. It's God. And we learn about that through His revealed Word. And so He said, I'm holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. This is how we look to see what is holy. Right? So there are going to be trials and persecutions in this life for the world's sake if you are trying to be holy and teach your children to be holy like Brother David was talking about. To be holy as God said. There's going to be persecutions and tribulations for the Word's sake. Be ready for that. That you can stand fast and not be offended and walk away when it gets hard. And also, don't let the cares of the world and the deceitful riches. This is that, that Cracker Jacks, right? Don't let your pursuit of Cracker Jacks make you unfruitful. Because God, you've already been given it all. He's given us to all things richly. He gave us Christ. And what did it cost you? Nothing. And so it's not out of fear of judgment. Fear has been taken away. There's no judgment against us. No one can lay anything to our charge because Christ has already paid it in full. And so you don't serve him out of fear, fear of the consequences. You serve out of gratitude and love and recognition as you're laying hold to that eternal life that I want to serve my Heavenly Father because of what great things He's done for me. That's what Jesus told that wild Gadarean, right? He wanted to come with Him and be with Him. He sent them away for a time, right? You go back to your friends and your families and you tell them what great things God has done for you. Sometimes we get a little, oh, I don't know how to share the gospel, right? I'm not a preacher. I don't, that's too hard. It's just sharing what great things God has done for you. Right? And if we're not capable of verbalizing that, then guess what, guys? We need to be studying. We need to grow in our knowledge of the Lord and Jesus and what He's done for us. Grow in grace so that we can verbalize the gratitude that we have to a great God. It's not that it's not that hard. But your mind and your body and your carnal self are always going to say, oh, I can't. Right? 
been given the greatest, greatest gift in the world. You've been adopted by the creator of the universe. He is going to bring you home to him. And there are other children of God who don't have that great news. They don't. Or they do. They have such a distorted view of it that it takes a lot of that joy out. Right? The truth sets you free. There's a lot of distortion out there that puts you in chains. Creates new bondage. And so you have an opportunity each day that you interact with anybody to share the good news. Thank you all. Time and attention.